Welcome to the Underhand Free Throw, the basketball podcast with Ian and Simon. I'm Ian. And I'm Simon. And what do you feel like talking about today, Simon? Well, we're a couple weeks into the season now. I don't know about you, but we've had some pretty good basketball going on so far. I, mean, I know a lot of people are probably still focused on the NFL for now until we get, you know, usually past the Christmas Day point is when the, the NBA becomes a little more, a bit more prominent. But we're watching. And there's been a couple teams that are really staying out and doing well at the start of the season, but we have one undefeated team left nine games into the year, eight or nine games into the year, depending on how many teams have played. But that is the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks, despite not having Chris Middleton yet, their second best player, remain undefeated. Yeah, no no Curdleton and they are not missing a beat. I think it's kind of interesting the Bucks are getting you know for, for a couple of years the Bucks were such a regular season juggernaut that would get figured out every year in the playoffs. And that was kind of their brand, not quite like a paper tiger, but Bud got this reputation for just being a poor playoff adjuster and just this team yeah. that was very stubborn and sticking to their system. So then they switched the past couple seasons into being this team that would kind of play it fast and loose and not dominate the regular season. Um, and then go into the playoffs a lot more flexible and that sort of like, you know, paid off for them. They won a title. And if it wasn't for uh, Chris Middleton's injury, in the playoffs, the one he's still struggling with now, we who they might have gone to the finals again. They might have they might have gone back to back. Who knows? That is um, just a possibility. But you know they get they get the benefit of the doubt when you win one championship and then you start the next season um, eight and zero, nine and zero. They're nine and zero now. So maybe I think the interesting thing is teams. Yeah, they're they're number two in point differential. The number one team being the the Cavaliers, which we've talked about a little bit recently. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the interesting thing is they're the best defense in the NBA up to this point. Also, right up there with the Cavaliers. Turns mm-hmm. out defense wins wins the regular season games. The interesting thing that I've thought is their defense has held up so well this year, despite their wing rotation really not being very ideal. And I think that's interesting because that's really what kind of sunk them against the Celtics in the. Eastern Conference playoffs last year is their their wing rotation without Chris Middleton in there just really got beat up on and, and taken advantage of. But they have, you know, those same guys, uh, Grayson Allen and um, Wes Matthews, you know, playing a lot of minutes in the stead of Chris Middleton. But they're they're holding up so far. Best defense in the NBA by a not insignificant margin either. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you compare them to the Cavs, the number two ranked defense, because and this is. Not exactly how the Cavs are, you know, the Cavs are famous for having their two excellent offensive guards and their two excellent defensive big men. Uh, One of the things that's working for the Milwaukee Bucks defense is, again, like being kind of wingless like the Cavs, which is why I'm uh, drawing the comparison to the two. But they start two pretty monster point of attack defenders like Javon Carter has emerged Mm -hmm. not quite out of nowhere because like he was bouncing around the league last year and um, and getting a little bit of a little bit of buzz. I mean. He's out there as sort of a defensive specialist next to Drew Holiday, who is, you know, kind of a defensive specialist, but has a ton of offensive responsibilities on this team as well. He's second on the team in field goal attempts and he's their, you know, main point guard. So they start these kind of kind of like the Chicago Bulls last year. They're, they're they've got two really strong point of attack defenders disrupting things up front. But unlike the mm-hmm. Bulls of last year when they were healthy, they also have Brooke Lopez and Giannis Antetokounmpo in the, like it's behind them. So really they're getting the best of both worlds. And it's just kind of interesting to see these like wings are such an important glue piece to modern NBA defenses and like teams like the Toronto Raptors 
and the Boston Celtics, you know, we like, you know, we, we talk about the depth of their wings and their switchability and stuff like that. And the two top defenses in the NBA aren't currently playing a starting caliber NBA small forward. No, and in the Bucks case, it's been Grayson Allen. And, you know, at first glance, it seems like, oh, man, they're really small. Because, like you mentioned, Javon Carter, a smaller guy, you know, mostly defending guards. And then you have Drew Holiday, who's a little bit more switchable, has a little bit more size to him. So he can he can match up against some forwards at least. But yeah, Grayson Allen out there, they seem really undersized. But I think a large part of their defensive success has been Brooke Lopez being able to return to form, which I think it's safe to say that was a little bit up in the air because you have a 34-year-old guy who had a who had back surgery last year and missed the majority of the season. I think he played 13 games all of last season and then some in the playoffs, but a a center in his mid thirties with back surgery is not exactly like, you know, the most promising outlook going into the year, but he's, he's really held up. Well, Brooke Lopez has played and started every single game for them so far and is playing over 30 minutes a game. And he's returned to being the really excellent rim protector that he's shown to be the last couple of years in Milwaukee. I was pretty encouraged in the playoffs last year when he, when he just came back from that back surgery and still looked pretty normal like didn't look like a fundamentally yeah. changed player in terms of his mobility where you know when you think about I mean Dwight Howard going to the Lakers back in the day like after that back injury like oh big men that can really really change a defensive elite big man I remember thinking about that a lot last year when when Brooke was out the whole season I was like maybe this monstrous defensive front line is over yeah Brooke Lopez is averaging like 2.6 blocks per game so far and just being the yeah the monstrous rim protector with just enough switchability that he's not really taking advantage of in schemes even though he like mostly stays in drop he's a lot more mobile than maybe some people would picture him Giannis Antetokounmpo is getting defensive player of the year buzz already but I remember I think during Giannis's first defensive player like the first season he won or whatever there was a quiet contingent that were like is Brooke Lopez actually the best defender I mean like he is the center and he is he is the one sort of anchoring that back line and the Bucks did not hold up defensively without him last year. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, he deserves every little bit of credit and piece of hype he can get. Like, you know, two of us talking about him on an obscure NBA podcast. You deserve this, Brooke. I guess Grace yeah, Allen I mean, is their small forward, right? Like that's, I don't, I, don't starting, really, I feel like yeah. they, like they, they play three, six, five-ish guards or like not even really quite six. Like, I feel like they play three guards and just call one of them the wing but i feel like it's it is drew holiday yeah. guarding a lot of those matchups and they put grayson out a lot of the threes the least yeah. threatening i mean i think on, on nights where the where the three is not an, a big offensive piece you can slide grayson allen over there but anytime it's a threat it's, it's drew and after that it's javon carter javon carter also averaging like you know leading the team in steals so being that pesky point of attack guy that is making this all work they still bring like you know george hill off the bench he's a lot older too but still like a defensive minded player yeah i think i mean grayson allen needs to be out there and he's the weak link defensively right although he hasn't been too much weak link obviously because the team's been so good on that side of the floor but he's the only guy on the team that's been an elite three-point shooter this year i mean he's shooting over 40 percent and he's taking five threes a game so it's not a small sample size i mean he's a really good shooter he's really emerged into that role uh, so they need him on the floor, absolutely, to keep the offense afloat because the Bucks, I, you know, they're in the bottom half of the NBA offensively right now. It's really offense is not the reason they're winning games. It's it's uh, Giannis averaging 33 points a game and the rest of the team doing just enough to get them over the hump there. So, I mean, I understand they need Grayson Allen out there, but it doesn't make 
it does make them a little bit small. I don't think that's a huge problem in the regular season. I mean, Javon Carter's, I think, 6'1 or 6'2. He's not a big guard, but he's he's a bulldog. I mean, in college when he was at West Virginia, the offense was kind of a concern, but he was just so impactful on the defensive end. He was a little bit similar to Davion Mitchell, although probably got a little bit less publicity for it, but just like that small guard who's just kind of a bulldog and he's just like in your face, getting steals, preventing you from being able to dribble comfortably. Um, and that's really how he's carved out a role here as a starting NBA guard right now, too. Yeah, I mean, I remember like I remember when he signed with the Bucks. I didn't think much of it. He, he was on Brooklyn before that, and the year before that, he was yeah, in Phoenix. I mean, he's been getting he's been cracking rotations like since he came into the NBA. Like it's nice to see him now get a chance to uh, to really take advantage of this opportunity. I guess like the question is with them. Like, you know, defensively, I think they only stand to improve when Chris Middleton comes back and and takes minutes away from some of their lesser defenders. But, you know, right now they're jacking up a ton of threes. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Grayson Allen is the only plus three point shooter on this roster. They've got plenty of average ish three point shooters like Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday, um, like a whole bunch of guys who can shoot around league average from three. But yeah, right now it's just Grace. Now, you know, George Hill can sh- like George Hill is going to shoot it better. Jordan Wara maybe can shoot a little bit better. I don't know anything to get out of West Matthews at this point, I think is is a bonus. Uh, Serge Ibaka is like on the borderline of the rotation and he can shoot it from three, but he's also like most likely to be like a 35, 36% guy, even though he's shooting it pretty well right now in limited minutes. So if they go through a shooting slump or if Grace and Allen plays less minutes when Chris Middleton comes back. What what happens if this offense drops from from around league average to sort of like being kind of bad? Yeah, I mean, that would be the worry, but they do have some wiggle room just because, you know, like we talked about, they are pretty close to the top of the NBA in point differential. You know, that's that's really the question is when Chris Middleton comes back, do you want to drop Grayson Allen to the bench or do you want to drop Javon Carter to the bench? I mean, keeping Grayson Allen in the starting lineup, I think would probably be more prudent just because it would help this team there's only upside offensively switching Javon Carter who's like making just enough threes to kind of survive on the offensive side of the floor but is not a guy who's ever going to be lighting the opposing team up Um, swapping him out for Chris Middleton I mean that's a huge massive upgrade offensively so if you can survive I I was just going to say if you can survive on the defensive side of the floor which I think you can especially if especially if Javon Carter continues being your sixth man and playing a decent amount of minutes. I don't, I don't think the bottom would drop out on the offensive side of the floor with the bucks. I think they'd maintain at least league average and have room to improve as well. If I was coaching the bucks, if I was Mike Budenhauser, I think I would, I'd be more inclined to bench Grayson Allen and keep Javon Carter in that starting lineup. I think that once you get to the playoffs, having that impregnable, impregnable defense on the, on the floor to start games and not having a juicy spot for the other guy to attack for the, for your opponent to attack. If they're surviving right now with Grayson Allen as the only plus three point shooter, Chris Middleton is just as good, if not better of a, or at least more proven of a three point shooter than Grayson Allen is like slot him into that spot Mm -hmm. continue to be average in terms of three point shooting, but you're also getting a whole lot more like offensive three dimensionality when Chris Middleton comes back because you get another guy who can create off the dribble. He's sort of their best ball handling scorer. So that's already going to boost your offense on its own it's this is this is like being random and nitpicky like i think you can leave either like grayson allen versus javon carter is not um 
going to fundamentally change this team, but I like the idea of them just continuing to be like a, a high minute defensive impregnable wall that um, can build good offensive bench lineups around guys like Grayson Allen and, and Bobby Portis and whoever else. It's, it's, I wonder what they're like, like who of these guys sort of like seven through 10 are going to be able to crack their playoff rotation. Cause even though it's cool, the bucks are back to looking like a regular season juggernaut. This is a team that is, considered by many to be a championship favorite so looking forward to yep. what who the guys are going to play big minutes and grace and allen got picked on by the boston celtics like pretty relentlessly it's like we we and you know if chris middleton wasn't injured and grace and allen was playing in a smaller role that's like you know there's there's less opportunities to pick on him but again i think it's always just nice to be able to just strangle the other team right off the bat and not let them get into a rhythm and then win bench matchups with like by bringing in some offensive punch. But again, kind of nitpicky. Either way, sounds good to me. Yeah. They're in a good position. I mean, I don't know. I will say like it's possible to be a liability on in the playoffs on the offensive side of the floor too. Um, so you would hope with Javon Carter, if he is in that starting role and playing more minutes than Grayson Allen, that other teams aren't just going to be able to leave him open and sag off of him and hurt the Bucks as a result. I mean, we've seen that happen lots of times in the playoffs recently. It's not just guys who get picked on by having to switch onto a star player and then get demolished in a one-on-one matchup. There can also kill your spacing if you play a non-shooter too much. And that gives the defense a, a extra guide a bit, just kind of like play the safety role and, and stick in the paint and prevent driving yeah. lanes. So yeah, there's a couple of different the... ways to do it. Fortunately for the Bucks, you know, besides besides Giannis, they like don't really have non-shooters, right? Like who's their who's their worst shooter that figures to be a, a rotation piece after Giannis? Like it might be it might be Brooke Lopez. Like again, like all these guys yeah. are sort of around like 35% shooters so far this year. I was gonna say probably Bobby Portis, but I mean he has a decent mid-range game and he's not horrible from three. I mean, he's shooting 33% right now but that's still not a guy that you'd want to leave wide open if he is hitting 33 percent of his shots yeah and, and and bobby portis is going to he comes in as an offensive threat so whether that's mm. you're not you're not going to hurt the bucks by like stashing a, like you by ignoring bobby porter on offense like he's definitely yeah you can't put like a small defender on him yeah yeah also like 33 percent from three is not really indicative of what he's been in his career as a shooter like Two seasons ago, he shot almost like 50% for three on the season. Like he's definitely yeah. a, a qualified floor spacer in, in the front court sort of thing. So I don't I don't think teams in the playoffs are gonna be like, yeah, let's leave Bobby Portis open. You know, maybe maybe uh the only coach in the NBA who would do that is um currently coaching the Bucks. If anyone remembers how the Bucks yeah. lost <laughs> their final game in the playoffs, it was Bud's absolute insistence that they will not guard Grant Williams. <laughs> from three no matter how many threes he hits it was like he's gonna and, stop hitting them and to be fair i mean if if the bucks could have just waited another couple of games grant williams couldn't make a shot all of the heat series so absolutely yeah <laughs> so, I mean, that's the so bet, close to that working <laughs> it's one of those interesting things when you watch it happen in real time where the coach is going to trust the math and think that grant williams is not going to hit a trillion threes in this game that he's going to go cold in a second or whether you uh overreact or just react at all 
because that you know i guess wouldn't have been an overreaction because it did sink them that game and i'll add people yeah. were dragging bud online and on twitter and everything and making fun of him for not guarding grant williams but i think if before the game you had asked people to um or what's the like what's the likelihood of of grant williams like dropping nine threes in a game or whatever you wouldn't have had like the celtics weren't hedging their strategy on that that was uh no it was, it was a bit you 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 fortify your defense by uh choosing to not overreact to a shooter and if that shooter gets hot then you're vulnerable and that just kind of ended up being like an ugly bit of luck for the bucks yeah, then. And, but and spolstra didn't guard grant williams either and it turned out to be the right call. So, you know, that's the hard thing about playing the results game, right? Like even if your process is correct, it doesn't mean you're always going to get the result you want. There are outliers and there are times when weird stuff happens, like a poor three-point shooter or a below average three-point shooter just getting crazy hot for one game. It happens. So is this a thing? Are the Bucks uh, going to go 82-0? and 0? I'm going to say no on the 82-0, and 0, <laughs> but um, can we can we start with are they going to finish as the one seed in the East? I think that's more attainable this year. You'd be kind of it'd be sort of wild to not pick them at this point. They're nine and zero, missing their second best offensive player. Cleveland's looking awesome too, but you know, smart money is on the Bucks right now, and I think it'd be. There's another couple teams. I'm not. I'm not saying it'd be crazy if Milwaukee didn't finish first. They might face an injury at some point this season. Maybe you know, like well, they are right now, and it's not slowing yeah, them down. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I, I would count on the Bucks to continue to be uh, very, very good for this season. I'll temper my expectation. And I say I'll, I'll expect them to finish top two. I wouldn't be surprised if Cleveland finishes with the number one record in the East. But I'm yeah. also the guy that predicted the Bucks to really struggle with Chris Middleton being out to start the year, and they're awesome without him. So what do I know? Yeah, I mean, I think that was a good bet too. I like. I don't, I, I'm surprised at how how strong. I definitely was not predicting like Javon Carter. And Grace and Allen being the things that made this work en route to a 9-0 and start to the season. Yeah. Okay, so the next team we're going to talk about is the Golden State Warriors. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you here, Ian. Currently, the vaunted Warriors defense, the one that's won them all these titles, they are 29th in defensive rating right now. They're off to oh, a 3-7 They've actually crawled start. up one spot since we... Oh, they're since, 28th? Since, yeah, <laughs> since we wrote that note. What? They've, they've managed a heroic ascent of the ladder all the way to 28th on offense what sorry what on defense. improvement yeah well, congratulations they're, they're Warriors. Out, bust out the champagne <laughs> they're hanging out with the lakers and the rockets down <laughs> at the bottom of the west right now so i don't know what do you think is this a thing are the warriors really a terrible defensive team now yeah i mean i remember i remember watching like tuning into the very first warriors games of the season i've watched a few other other games but it was clear immediately that that kerr wanted to dedicate the the bench lineup to the young guys that he wasn't yeah like you know last year they they relied on a on a whole assortment of of interesting uh veterans like Bielitsa, Otto Porter, um, Damian Lee, like who's been with the team for a while and, and is no longer with them. And it was clear that it's like, no, it's time to let the young guys get more than like a, you know, token little role here and there. So like in the second quarter of the of the first game of the season, we saw a lineup that was like Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, and then Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga, and Wiseman out there together. Mm-hmm. And I I don't think it went like catastrophically in that quarter, but it has been catastrophic ever since. 
the Golden State yeah. Warriors starting lineup is doing just fine. They're not killing people like they like they were last year, or like I mean, yeah, there's I mean like like it's like the fourth best starting lineup in the NBA. Like they've got like a net rating mm-hmm. of like plus twenty four or something like that. And um, I don't think that would have changed after their loss to New Orleans when the starters didn't even play. So they've got this, yeah. They're, they've got, they still have their strong championship level starting lineup of Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Kevon Looney, and Draymond Green. But when they're going to this sort of Jordan Poole centric bench lineup, it's it's yeah been horrible so far, mm-hmm. not working at all. Yeah, I mean Jordan Poole's playing a lot. Um, he's playing like thirty minutes a game, basically starters minutes. You know, he's his efficiency is definitely down from where it's been. He's barely shooting 31% from three, which is a far cry from where he was at last year. But I mean, that's just kind of where the problems start. Moses Moody has been all right uh, in my estimation, but the rest of the bench has kind of been a disaster. I mean, the one veteran they did pick up and is playing a decent amount is Jermichael Green from the Nuggets, who just had like the season from hell last year. I think he shot like 20% from three and just looked physically incapable of, of defending anyone. And he's rebounded okay. I thought I think he's looked okay, at least physically this year, but he still cannot hit a shot from three. You know, he's well below 30%. And then, you know, Ty Jerome, who's kind of like a late pickup to kind of fill out the roster. He's playing a lot. Kaminga is playing a decent amount and and James Wiseman is playing a decent amount. And I think the most concerning thing is James Wiseman has looked like capable of when he gets the ball and he's near the basket he just like looks so physically imposing like he's dunking on people he's grabbing offensive rebounds and putting the ball back but it's definitely like awkward offensively the the Warriors are clearly trying to force the ball to him and trying to build his confidence up and then on the defensive side of the floor Wiseman although he has like the physical tools to theoretically be a capable rim protector so far in practice he's just getting blitzed and the Warriors are just getting kind of flame grilled barbecued on the defensive side of the floor whenever whenever Wiseman is out there. Right now, Wiseman is not an NBA rotation level player. And yeah. right now, Jonathan Kaminga is not an NBA rotation level player. Uh, both these guys have a lot of hype and make spectacular plays. And that hasn't stopped this year. Like, you know, they're still, we still get some dunks and you can still see the tantalizing tools, but they're much further away than Kerr's promotion of them to real rotation roles would suggest. And that is a, um, it's kind of a bummer for the Warriors because like the fun narrative thing about the Warriors is that they've got this dynasty, like they're the, they're the current dynasty of the NBA. They've, you know, the parallels to the 2000 Spurs are quite evident. Those guys who won them the championships are all in their, you know, all getting into their mid thirties now. And they've been talking about being light years ahead of the NBA, the rest of the NBA, that famous uh, Joe Lacob quote. Joe Lacob gave that quote. Yeah, right? He's the one who said that. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to give that quote to the wrong person. That would be rude. It's not a I almost said Bob Myers. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Bob. So we're kind of we've been anticipating this sort of, you know, this bridge to the next era. You know, they they, they got mm-hmm. this lottery pick from the Timberwolves. They, you know, they, they got two top 10 picks and they drafted these guys and they also brought in Moses Moody um, and they've been ready to, this year was supposed to sort of be the first big step into the next Warriors era where we get the young guys coming up and the old guys still close enough to their primes. I mean, maybe not in Clay's case, but Curry still close enough to his prime and, and Draymond probably, you know, still at a, still at a similar level. That's the hope, at least. And we'd see we get to see everything at once. Um, so I, I'm sure it is alarming to ownership and the coaching staff that like these guys aren't aren't ready at all. That They've taken the first step 
on the bridge to the next generation and realize just how like shaky this bridge is going to be essentially. So yeah, I think that's a that's the that's the negative things to say about the Warriors right now. I think is that like this young guy bench lineup is currently uh, a disaster for them and the main reason that they are near the bottom of the standings. Yeah, but the fix isn't as simple as bench the young guy, put the veteran in the game. Because the thing with the Warriors is they got a lot of young guys. Just about all of them are struggling. Like I'm, I'm higher on Moody than maybe some people are. Um, defensively, he, you know, the stats say he hasn't been good, but he's also been sharing the floor with a lot of really bad defenders. No, he's but, like, you know, Moody actually, when you, when you break down and you go into all, all the lineup data and, um, and really try to try to find what at least like plus minus says about who's the problem. Like Moody stands out as being kind of pretty neutral okay. where, yeah. where Kaminga and, and Wiseman and Poole are, the... are, are more the culprit. So I think, I think Moody's out there doing his job. I think, I think anyone who's a Moody enthusiast can, can keep being a Moody enthusiast. He's like, he's a pretty yeah. solid part of this rotation. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep at it then. I will uh, <laughs> keep believing in Moody. I mean, Moody, like, you know, he's already an okay player. He's already kind of like a run-of-the-mill rotational wing, which is if you get one guy out of the group who can do that, that's a win in my estimation. With Poole, you just kind of hope he can rebound to what he was last year at least. I mean, you, you'd hope he'd improve. He's still only 23 years old. He definitely has a long way to go in his developments, but he's taken a step back at least early on this year. And he is a guy who takes a lot of difficult shots. And the defensive issues aside – offensively he has not been efficient this year but like here's a guy who's taking a lot of pull-up jumpers he's taking a lot of deep threes a lot of contested threes and like shooters like that can run hot and cold we watched I, i'm sure me and you have both watched a lot of like jr smith back in the day yeah. uh, jordan Poole kind of reminds me a little bit of jr smith when he was in that sixth man role and yeah guys like that run really hot and cold and right now he's cold so the hope he is he would improve and I think like for a playoff lineup, the Warriors can scrape together eight to nine playable guys. It's more the regular season where I'm worried about because yeah, benching Kaminga and benching Wiseman is one thing, but like, who do you replace them with? Because the other guys on the roster, you know, like Anthony Lamb's been playing a little bit. Ty Jerome's been playing. Dante DiVincenzo is hurt right now, but when he comes back, he should be a rotational player. But there's not a lot of options after the young guys for people you can slot in who would be better than them would be a clear upgrade over them. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting things there. I think Jordan Poole, well a his passing has looked pretty good this year. Like I feel he leveled up a little bit as a passer. Yeah, I've, I've seen him thrown some he's thrown he's made some really nice plays off the bounce. He's thrown mm. some slick looking passes that were not in his bag last year. He's not shooting the ball well right now, so there's there's a little bit of upside there and that like, he's probably going to shoot better than 31% from three on the season. And, and that could fix a lot of their problems right away. It was interesting that they, they invested so heavily in pool after going through the playoffs with him and watching him every round become less and less important. Play less and less minutes. Yeah. His minutes dropped every round in the playoffs last year. It was so clear that, you know, like Andrew Wiggins minutes and role became more and more important, just like on the defensive mm -hmm. side of the ball specifically, like, and, and physicality, just being able to like, you know, win battles on the boards and being able to match up with another star player. And Jordan Poole's, offense just felt this like kind of like a needless luxury but like yeah, yeah. he was still playing he, he played well on offense throughout you know most of the playoffs but it's like well what do we need another offensive player when we have Steph Curry on the floor running around and you know even even clay in his reduced states is still hitting a lot of shots 
so for them to be like this guy's our future is a little bit like it felt a little bit of like wishful thinking. I, I still get it. It's like, you know, he's he's 23 years old and he's going to be around and able to take on a larger role after Curry's gone. But we're seeing him right now play a different role than he played last year. Last year, he he was in all kinds of hybrid lineups. He played with Steph a lot and he would just be the sort of guy who would break down the defense or or sort of like finish off a defense that was already broken down this time this year they've given him a yeah. lot more responsibility to sort of like be the anchor on, on on weaker lineups and you also see in him you see a bit of a mentality of like i've signed this big contract i've got this reputation now i'm, I'm supposed to take a leap you, he feels like he's playing like he's trying to take a leap every night like yeah. he's 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 <laughs> yeah. he's which some of that's good. Some of that's stretching him. Like I mentioned the passing is like his assists are up. His turnovers are up as well. Um, and he just feels like he's trying to do crazy things every time he goes out there. Again, the shooting will perk up and, and he'll be fine. But right now he's in that little kind of awkward identity crisis mode where it's like he's the sixth man, uh, you know, ta- like kind of stars in his eyes and a, and a big bag of money. And um, he if he feels like he's trying to play outside his means right now. Well, don't you think that it's interesting because both Wiggins and Poole got extended this offseason. Poole's extension was the larger of the yeah. two. And, yeah, you know, I didn't like that at all. And don't you think like, kudos to that, a lot agent, of that is like, yeah, I mean, Wiggins is without question a more impactful NBA player right now when it comes to like winning because he's so good and so versatile defensively, even if he doesn't have the offensive like heights that Poole does. Although Wiggins has been a better offensive player to start the year. But um, don't you think a large part of that is just like Poole is younger. A lot of that is just potential. Like guys get paid based on potential. And a lot of these young guys like, no, they don't deserve the contract yet based on their current level of play today, but they're getting paid with the assumption that they're going to grow into it. And yeah, yeah, like you said, I think we're we're seeing a lot of growing pains with Poole now. You know, he's he's got a lot, there's a long season to work through those. You just hope the Warriors don't fall too far in the standings while they're trying to fight through that. I think Pool. I think Pool's agent had a lot of leverage in these negotiations and was able to secure the number he did. I think Wiggins, not that he didn't have any leverage. I think Wiggins and his agent were a little bit more relaxed in those in those mm. same negotiations where he was just like, uh, he still he still got paid a lot, but I don't think that Wiggins was trying to get every dollar he could out of. Uh, he's already this is Wiggins' second big contract. Uh, I think he was really yeah. happy about a situation where where Pool often in those first contracts is about maximizing like maximizing the mystery and the potential and you're really only going to do that once because of the when Jordan Poole comes into his next contract he will be what he is in the NBA he'll be a known commodity right now there's yeah and then I mean his agent did a good job yeah Wiggins had a quote right after the deal was announced that he from from his and his agent's perspective at least that he had taken a little bit less but the reason he had done that is because he really loved the situation and was willing to sacrifice a bit. I mean, who knows how much? I'd, I'd, I'll be honest. I don't know how much. Wiggins perhaps could have gotten more than $105 million over four on the open market. I don't know, <laughs> but maybe. It's declining, I, too. I, it was a team-friendly deal. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it, it it is a really solid deal. I mean, there may have been a team that was willing to reach and give him the 120 or something. That's probably the max of what his free market, you know, market value would have been. But I, I think it's overall a good deal for Wiggins. There's there's financial yeah. benefits to playing for a team that's in the playoffs every year too. I think the Warriors' path success. So I, I'd like to say that I'm I'm not actually that worried about the Warriors overall. I think there there's no way the defense is gonna stay this bad 
Even though I, I don't think their offensive upside is, I don't think they're going to get a whole lot better offensively. They weren't that good an offensive team last year in the regular season. So I don't see that changing, yeah. but I think they're going to get that defensive rating up. And I think it's going to happen in either two ways. One, a lot more hybrid lineups. So less of these sort of like lineups mm-hmm. built around the the future, just identifying that that's not working. And they, you know, they still use Kaminga. They still use Wiseman, but they're on the floor in, in different configurations and, and not playing together as much. I think the other way it happens is that they just start improving like that you know some of these reps pay off and we see uh you know Kaminga and Wiseman go from being kind of awful out there to just being like fine and that would that would that would that would yeah that would change their team on a fundamental level like it's just right now they've got a couple lineups that are just absolutely dying out there and if they can go from dying to surviving and the you know the the starters can can take care of the rest and just you know not have this team collapse yeah. several times a game. And I would say that's likely because you can tell, especially with Wiseman, the issue is not lack of ability and the issue is not lack of effort, right? Which are generally the reason why NBA players are bad at defense is one of those two things or or both. <laughs> yeah. But um, with him, it's just like lack of what where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? You know, it's like lack of reps. I would he's say, barely played basketball. He's like, yeah, like, I've I've played way more basketball than this guy has. Like, it, just in yeah. the on the on the spectrum of, of of NBA players, like we're just talking about one of the least one of the least experienced players in the league. Like he barely he he barely played at university. Like we're talking like he, he's yeah. like, he's still like a he's he's still closer to a high school level of basketball experience than he is to an NBA one. So. Yeah, I mean, get this guy out, take the lumps early. Don't let yourself. I, I think, like you know, check in in it game right right now. They're ten games in. If another ten games go by and they're you know six and fourteen, or they get to you know thirty and they've been holding at this losing record, I think they need to change what they're doing. I think for now, I don't think they're panicking at at starting the season like this. Like I do think they want to. Yeah commit to getting these guys integrated into the lineup. And I think it will take more than a three and seven start for them to be completely shook off of that strategy that they want. Yeah. And yeah, and you're right. There's, there's nowhere to go, but up for these young guys where the issue is just lack of experience, because that's going to happen by playing games, by playing NBA basketball. Like they're, they're going to get better at just knowing what to do on the floor. And, you know, we've, we've both played, a decent amount of basketball, nowhere near the same level, obviously. But as anyone who's played basketball over the course of the season can tell you, like by the end of the season, you're just more comfortable. You just kind of have more tacit knowledge of what you're supposed to be doing in, during a, a defensive set. So I also think they can't, they can't play Kaminga and Wiseman together. Like I think both those guys, at least the way they're operating in this offense, like they're both, they're both operating as, as fives with, with shooting. And maybe that's like, you know, less, less consistent, that's like less ideal for um, Kaminga in the long run because he's not going to be like a a rim rolling center for the for his NBA career if he's going to have success. But um, you'd hope not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He 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 needs like he needs to figure out how to be a to be an NBA level wing. And you know maybe he just start shooting just, the ball better and he survives. Or just develop like a like a sick handle and just <laughs> use his athleticism to just get by people. But yeah. yeah, you're right. He needs a jump shot. And the Wiseman and Poole thing is not really, they're not, they're not this fun pick and roll combo that the Kerr obviously so badly wants them to be. Like, I don't know what the better pairing for Wiseman is, but they've played a lot of, a lot of lineups with Wiseman and Poole. 
and it doesn't work at all. And yeah, I think Jermichael Green is is kind of done. I, I not not everyone. He, I, I hear Warriors fans are a little split on him, but like I I, I always like Jermichael Green a lot. So this is it brings me no pleasure to say. But even though some of his mobility is back, he's just not really much of a difference maker out there. And him being a he's kind of the big that they're really relying on to make a lot of lineups work off the bench when like because he's their he's their third big and that's yeah not great for them he's, but they'll, they'll be he's fine. one he's one of the more mechanical kind of slow developing jump shot jump shooters in the nba and jump shot's gone it's past, it's, it's, it's it's in the over, past like, it went in kind yeah. of but now it's not going in and yeah so he's not he's not spacing the floor he's not protecting the rim but there's also not really another big on the roster unless Wiseman starts to improve. He moves around fine, but yeah, he's not he's not bringing any of the perks that he used to bring to a to an NBA lineup. So he's only 32, but it's not it's, it's not working out right now, Jermichael Green. All right, well, I think it's safe to say we're we're optimistic on the future outlook of the Warriors, although we admit there's going to be some growing pains and awkwardness to get there. So mm-hmm. let's uh, let's move on and let's talk about a team that is currently playing very well in the Toronto Raptors. The question we have about the Toronto Raptors, same question we have with every team we're talking about today, is is this is this a thing? Is this real? Are the Raptors, who are currently a top six defense, which is like something mm-hmm. that a lot of a lot of people predicted they would be one of the better defenses this year, um, but are they going to stay a top five offense? Because right now they're currently fourth in offensive rating, which I think is something nobody was forecasting, specifically with how much the Raptors struggled on uh, half-court offense last year, and have still continued to struggle at this year. That hasn't gone away, So, but somehow they're still fourth. That's true. Their their offense has been lights out to start the year. They're only six and four, which is a bit of a strange record for a team that's top six in both offense and defense and they're fourth in the nba net rating so how are they only six and four i mean they've lost a couple of really close games to the nets and then the mavericks the other night so part of that is just like the margin of losses is not big and the margin of wins it surpasses it by quite a bit so that's how you you have a net rating like that but not the best record but one thing that's been kind of really surprising to start the raptors season is when we were talking about them in our preview we mentioned some concerns with the shooting I mean, they definitely have a couple of good shooters on the roster. Um, Fred Van Vliet, obviously, has been an excellent shooter for a long time. OG Ananobi has really stepped up his his game space in the floor the past couple of years. But we had some concerns in the half court just when it came to, like, you know, space in the floor. But that has not been their issue at all. Um, Chris Boucher has, Boucher has really been awesome <laughs> to start the Boucher. year. Um, o- OG's shooting over over 40%. Scotty Barnes is shooting 40% from three. Fred Van Vliet's in the high 30s. Like everyone's just lights out from three to start the year. Yeah. Barnes is Barnes is the most surprising one. And we'll and I, I think that's something to still monitor. Like I, I hope that he's like I, I think he definitely has improved his three-point shot, but 39% on four attempts seems like a leap that I was not expecting. I don't even think this team is necessarily at their like i don't think they're shooting way over their heads i guess is what i'm trying to say like when you when you look at the percentages like van vliet 38 percent, he can shoot 38 percent on a season Pascal yeah Siakam's he does that shooting 34 percent. that's he can shoot that's pretty much that. what what yeah, yeah. og and at 40 percent is like as a little that would be 
a career high for him, but it's like he shot 37% in his career and has hit 39% in season several times. So that's like, it's not some weird outlier. Gary Trent is, mm-hmm. is below his, his career average. Um, Precious Achua has started the season out ice cold after being a really strong shooter in the season. Boucher, like you said, is, is lights out right now, but he's only played, he has, he's missed half their games. Um, yeah. And Otto Porter just came back, who was supposed to be one of their main shooters off the bench. So, like, I don't think, you know, I think this team is very capable of shooting above league average from three, just considering that if, if Scotty Barnes isn't a, isn't a garbage shooter, then that means basically everyone in their rotation. Kind of what we said about the Bucks a little bit, like, they might not have too many, like, crazy lights-out shooters, but everyone on the team can shoot threes, with the exception of... Um, oh, especially uh, with the size man. they have. Because, like... They're huge. I, I've, They're so big I've always, this year. I've always thought the more important thing about floor spacing, it's not to necessarily have like one or two elite guys, although the Warriors have kind of made that work the past couple of years, having a couple of elite shooters and a couple of non-shooters on the floor. So, I mean, that's one way to do it. But another way to do it is just have everyone on the floor be like okay at shooting, at least drag their defender out of the paint and towards the three-point line. Because when yeah. the floor is open and everyone in the roster is 6-8, any small player out there can just get like – pushed and shoved and bullied into the basket and you know the raptors are doing that right now like the floor is just like wide open and pascal is absolutely feasting as a result um he is he is back to you know i think definitely being all-star form he's averaging 25 a game and he kind of like started out the season just completely on fire just you know torching the nets i mean everyone torches the nets but yeah uh, him especially <laughs> But he's yeah, he's having right career, career high right now. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he he's out, you know, indefinitely. But I but I I don't think that's supposed to be a, a super long term injury. But he looks amazing. Mm-hmm. I I feel Pascal Siakam has been a, a top ten player in the NBA so far this season. This injury is going to sort of you know drag him down. Whatever rankings projects are out there, but like you know, not only is he just torching guys from his favorite spots like he loves to get in the middle of the floor and just sort of like destroy matchups he's all of a sudden he's like putting so much pressure on the rim and and getting to the line like he's forcing people to foul him he's collapsing defenses um he's not even shooting the ball well but he's made some little adjustments that i've noticed watching him so much last year like his he puts a little bit more arc on his shot so a lot Mm -hmm. of these kind of tough like semi he, he loves to get into the middle of the floor and then go into a sort of a semi post up where he can kind of make reads to both corners and then sort of a- attack his matchup and last year when things you know wouldn't go great he would kind of settle for this little fade away and you know get a still get a good look you know like not a it wasn't like a, a terrible thing when a rapper's possession ended up in a Pascal Siakam fadeaway. But this year, he just has a little bit more arc on that shot. And that just means yeah. that he's ending those possessions with makes instead of like, you know, back rims or front rims a lot more often than ever before. He's also playing way better on defense than he played last year. Like he's he's super aggressive at the point of attack he's like his rotations are crisp he's just playing with like an insane amount of energy and endurance like you just see it in every aspect of the game and something i'd say about 
uh, Siakam last year and something I feel more comfortable saying about it this year is like Pascal Siakam is maybe the most versatile player in the NBA. When you look at the different aspects, when you when you consider his passing, his rebounding, his backline defense, his frontline defense, his ISO scoring, and his ability to be even just sort of an average outside shooter, and now one that gets to the rim at like, you know, a, a near sort of superstar level, he's getting to the rim seven, uh, almost eight times a game. Like, yeah, I, I just like I can't think of, uh, you know, now that LeBron's a little bit older and I, I like, you know, who else is he, like really in that discussion of this guy that just does. I'm not saying he's the best player in the NBA, but just in terms of like versatility, if we try to group all these things together and think of, you know, versatility as an NBA skill, I think Pascal Siakam would just sort of like have the highest all around scores. Yeah, I mean, I think um, the defensive versatility definitely puts him over Luca. Although, mm. you know, Luca is, is solid. He's, also, he's a better shooter than Luca too. I might point out, <laughs> at least yeah, in terms of just percentages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's well, a the shot, shooter than Luca. The the shot selection with Luca. I mean, he takes he, he easily has the hardest shot selection in the NBA. Um, Luca's obvious skill at shooting, but... like his 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 obvious ability to make outside shots versus the horrendous percentages is like one of the more confusing things for someone who watches games and reads stats it's like those things just don't like they've never well, it depends in his career it depends on how many mass games you watch i mean no matter how good of a shooter you are like 36 foot step back threes don't go in <laughs> that often yeah even if you are an, a great shooter so but there's but yeah, no like, there's, there's back... no indication that he's going to like that like oh he's going to get better shot selection at some point and luca's kind of like how about i don't but i still just keep yeah. getting better <laughs> yeah so but yeah let's so get I, back to the wraps <laughs> yeah this is the first season at least according to basketball reference where pascal siakam's playing the full-time five i mean he kind of was doing that last year too but he, he definitely looks more comfortable doing that this year just being like a really aggressive like blow up the pick and roll guy and yeah. st- like not a drop big at all <laughs> which is great yeah. because a lot of centers i you know Drop is one way to play defense as a center and the non-mobile fives definitely have to do that, but but it just makes things so much easier, especially if you don't have like a, a super elite point of attack guard, although the Raptors do, but it, it makes it a lot easier on your guards defensively when you have a guy like Siakam who can get through screens and has the athleticism to like come back and, and defend the rim too. I heard someone say this the other day and I, and I, and I really like this take. It's, um, the Raptors and Masai's vision of, of the Raptors is not is not an all wing lineup as as you know we've all like to describe it. It's an all small ball center lineup. Yeah, and, then, and like Pascal Siakam is a small ball center. Scotty Barnes is a small ball center. Chris Boucher and Precious Achua and Otto Porter and Thaddeus Young and Ochi Ananobi. Yeah, they're all small ball centers on like. You know, they they each have different levels of versatility of what other positions they can play. But any of those guys I mentioned on a, on another team where that was the need, they would be this like, you know, punchy small ball center that unlocked all kinds yeah. of interesting lineups. And the Raptors just have like seven or eight of those guys. <laughs> and it's like, and they can play five of them at once. Fred Van Vliet missed a couple of games. They did not, their response was not to, unearth malachi flynn or delonto delano banton and and play their guards more they just played siakam and barnes more at point guard and just played these giant lineups and now that they got this coloco kid 
who's like a legit, you know, very good backline defender, even if he doesn't do a whole lot of anything else yet so far in his career. Like they can they can play a real five and four small ball centers and still have it work out. And, you know, that's the reason that they're right now, like, you know, killing it on both ends of the floor. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't expect a five center lineup to be uh, awesome on the offensive side of the floor, but when your center is Pascal Siakam, who's, you know, just as effective with the ball in his hands, making plays for others and creating space for his own jump shot as he is, you know, playing a five man role, then, then I guess you can make it work. But yeah, yeah, the Raptors dream is kind of, you know, we'll, we'll make a concession. We'll play a short guy if he's Fred Van Bleet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or Gary, Gary Trent. Gary Trent is their it, other short guy and he's like six, six or yeah. something. So with like, no, he's like no one six, else five with long arms. Yeah. It's like, they have like one of those amusement park little measurement sticks. You know, you must be, instead of this, you must be this tall to ride. It's, you must be this tall to play <laughs> for everyone else. <laughs> Unless your name is Fred Van Vliet. Um, yeah. They played They played one game without Siakam. I think there was a bit of a concern that things would, the offense might fall apart without him. But, um, you know, they put up a 121 offensive rating on the Chicago Bulls. Admittedly, a poor defense. So I think they still needs to be tested. But definitely watch that game looking for, okay, who's going to pick up the slack? And it wasn't really that complicated. It's like, oh, Fred Van Vliet's going to go back to doing what he did last year. He's going to take a whole bunch of crazy pull-up threes. Scotty Barnes sort of filled in this Yakum role of trying to generate some rim pressure and attacking. Scotty Barnes has changed into more of a, like more of a guard this year. Like last year, he was kind of a, like a sort of like mid post attacker who would kind of come out on the perimeter and pass a little bit. This yeah. year he's, he's mostly just driving the ball a bunch and, and, and taking, taking open threes pretty confidently. Uh, which is then, what he did at florida state in college i mean he was he yeah. was a power forward slash point guard yeah you know when he was at florida state and a lot of the time he would just have the ball at the top of the key make decisions attack the rim um, i mean he couldn't shoot back then he can now but you know yeah. like he was he was either a point guard or a big man <laughs> yeah there's kind of no in between with him and last year he toggled a little bit more big man and this year he's toggling a lot more guard at least so far he's hitting threes um but similar to all his footage at florida state like he's he, he still has no pull-up game like there's no he does not have the mechanics to sort of you know dribble to his spot and smoothly pull up like whenever he does that he kind of has to take this two-footed jump stop to get into it and it's a little bit awkward looking and it's just not something that he's really doing so he still has this pretty significant hole in his game especially when we were talking about Scotty Barnes as, you know, future all NBA kind of level player. Um, I think yep. that hole is something to notice. He's having a great season. He's like, he's, he's passing the ball better than he did as a, as a rookie season. And we already discussed his shooting, but um, there's still holes in that barriers that would prevent him from having this total superstar package where he can just sort of demolish a defense off the dribble. Yeah, just being that kind of like electric scorer is the final step to ascending to superstar status because everyone wants their star to be a guy that you can give the ball to and he can get you a bucket at the end of the game. They kind of have that already. I mean, Siakam can do the pull-up thing inside the arc. Van Vliet can do it outside of the arc. So they already have that dimension to their offense. We'll, we'll see if Scotty Barnes can develop that 
whether it's this season, whether it's what over the course of the next couple of off seasons, that would be kind of like the the final step to unlocking his all NBA potential. One the one last thought I have about about the Raptors is that um we we, we mentioned OG's shooting, but um on the defensive side of the ball, OG Ananobi has gone from a kind of switchable five positional matchup defender, like the guy who takes he's a you know primary defender on the on the best player and he can do a pretty good job on point guards and centers and every other position he's a absolutely elite at this year he's um really unlocked a lot more as like a disruptive help defender he had like mm-hmm. a he grabbed like like five or six deals and like three or four straight games. And he's like, he's a lot more proactive. Like you, you see like a, a more like sneaky element to him where like you're maybe, you know, you're watching the ball and OG's in the corner. And then uh, if you wind it back, you see OG sort of sneak into the middle of the floor and start charting the passer and then just pick passes off for dunks. And that's like a, a big part of his offense right now is just like getting a ton of transition dunks and layups. And I, I think that's like, if the Raptors keep being a top five defense, and OG Ananobi, who's already on everyone's short list of sort of best best man man, man defenders, if he becomes mm-hmm. this like monster help defender, he should be on the on the short list for uh, defensive player of the year. Yeah, and to your point, I mean he's leading the league in steals right now, three point one a game ahead of Dejounte Murray in second place. Hey, um, you're he's always up there at the top of the league in steals, yep. but. I mean, that, that's kind of an insane number. We'll see if that yeah. lasts the whole season. I, I mean, he's not going to keep getting six steals a game. They're also going to be a little but, bit more careful yeah. around him. But if, I mean, if he even averages like 2.2 steals a game, that, that's elite. You know, that's that's really disruptive in the passing yeah. lanes. Um, I think it's encouraging that the Raptors are, are doing so well on offense this early. I don't, it would be so shocking to me if they stayed anywhere near the top five in offense consider i just think like some of these other teams are going to figure it out and go on tears at different points and the raptors will have a cold shooting stretch at some point and also part of the reason that they're top five right now is just that you know they blew out san antonio like they you know they, yeah. they dropped 143 points on them or something they also put 140 on atlanta those are two uh i mean i don't really know what to say about san antonio's defense yes so i'm not going to call them a week de- atlanta's a weak defense uh san antonio is 29th in the league we're going to call them a weak defense so that could also be because they got uh blown out but um putting up putting up huge numbers against two weak defenses in the nba is the main reason they're top five but i think the idea that the raptors could be in the top 10 this year or like fight to stick around that number i think changes them from fun playoff team to like dark horse contender of just a team that can Mm -hmm. actually if their offense isn't as sort of like vulnerable and streaky as it was last year, there's a team that has um, is going to pose a ton of matchup problems for the other team in the playoffs and is going to be a team that doesn't have matchup problems of their own. Like they're just, yeah. you're not like, it's going to take a really specific player to mess up the Raptors. Like, like it's going to take someone like Joel Embiid or, or, or Nikola Jokic or someone who can, you know, just punish them on the inside, but they're not going to struggle against wings and guards consistently. Like there's not going to be a player. That's a big problem for them because <laughs> they've got nine defenders to throw at your, like to throw at your dangerous wing scorer. Yeah. The Raptors are scary this year. I mean, I think, we both have a lot of confidence there. Their defense will hold up and and we'll see how the offense manages to stay afloat without Siakam for hopefully not an extended period of time. But yeah, if they can maintain their rate with him in the lineup that they are a scary team. 
Yeah. Okay, let's uh let's move on to our last topic of the day. Um we wanted there there's been a lot of a lot of not necessarily like a, a a huge amount of team scoring, but there's a lot of individual players that are having kind of these these monstrous scoring seasons. And right now we have seven players averaging over 30 points a game. And for reference, typically at the end of the season, you're going to have like one or two guys averaging over 30. Right now we have seven, and then there's a couple more guys who are averaging 28, 28 points a game. So they're knocking on that doorstep. So um, are you buying a, a huge scoring boom from the league stars this year? Yeah. So, I mean, if you want, if we want to count, Dame Lillard is not quite qualifying for the leaderboard at five games played, but he's is Dame Lillard, like what's what's his injury status? Is he expected to miss? Yeah, he had more games. He he's expected to be back soon. Yeah, it was, it was kind of like a minor leg injury for him. He got hurt in their game against the Miami Heat, um, and he was only expected to be out a couple of weeks, so he should be back soon. So you know, if by the time he comes back and none of these other guys have fallen off, we could have at least um. Eight 30 points per game scores in the NBA, which uh which sounds like a lot. We got Luka Doncic leading the NBA at uh 36 points per game, followed by Giannis at 32. Durant's averaging over 30, Donovan Mitchell, Steph Curry, Dane Lillard, Shy Gilgis Alexander, and Jason, Jason Tatum. And then just outside that group, we have got John Morant, John Morant and um and Trey Young averaging 28. So yeah, I mean, how much longer are we going to have almost 10 30 point per game scorers in the NBA? I mean, I'm not going to say, I, I I will say I don't imagine us to end the season with eight guys that are averaging over 30 points per game, but I do think we will have probably three or four at least. I mean, there's no way Luca is not going to. At this point, he just, he puts up 30 plus nine and nine. Like that's just what he does in his sleep. He basically averages a triple double. Uh, Giannis, I think is, he's on a mission this year and it would be very, very easy easy to see him finishing out the year averaging over 30. Kevin Durant's an interesting one. I mean, he's scoring just because the, the Nets are um, kind of out of options, especially if Kyrie isn't going to play a significant amount the rest of the year. Um, and even if he does, like who else is is going to score in the nets? You know, they don't they don't have exactly like a wealth of of offensive talent or guys who can create offense. So like Kevin Durant is kind of their their be all end all. So I mean, I, those three guys are probably pretty safe. Um, the fall off is more like Donovan Mitchell with Darius Garland's um, back and and playing alongside him as the second option. You'd expect that points per game mark to drop a little bit. Um, and then Shea Gilgis, I mean, who knows, maybe this is his breakout year, but we haven't seen scoring in this volume from him before. So unless he's ascended to another level, which, you know, like he's still young and OKC is also not a team that's blessed with a ton of scoring talent. So perhaps he closes out the whole year like that, but you know, it wouldn't be overly surprising to see him fall back to earth a little bit and average more in the mid to high twenties. I feel like with Shea, you know, just due to being in OKC and, you know, some injuries, both real and institutionally supported, I guess I'll say. Um, we haven't really gotten to see him kind of put it all together for a season. Yeah. I still actually don't think we'll quite get to see that this season. Um, but I, I think he, he's flashing the player that he is right now i still he's not shooting he's not even shooting the ball that well right like he's yeah he's, he's 30 from three it's like not it's not he's like not, he's just on fire he's just unguardable he just teleports all over the paint he's just the shiftiest player i, I want to say he's the shiftiest 
player we've seen since Manu Ginobili, but like he's kind of shiftier than Manu Ginobili. He's got these like weird moves and cadence and like his hesitations are yeah. are so strange. And he's like just scoring at the rim like a monster and just shaking defenders in this, you know, high ball. Like, you know, like the only reason I would put him above Ginobili in that regard is just, you know, the volume that he's doing at it. He's finishing at the, he's getting the rim a ton. He's finishing like he's a center. His his floater and, and his little mid-range pull-up is just like absolutely money right now. Like the only place he's not scoring well is from three. Um, but that being said, he's at, you know, he's just above 30 points per game. I, I don't see that holding up. I think actually, if I was to take a bet right now, I'd say that we'll have one 30 point per game score this year. Oh, just Luca? Just Luca. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I think Middleton will come back and 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 Giannis will take a just a couple less shots. You know, Durant will get banged up at some point throughout the year. Donovan Mitchell's, like you say, Darius Garland is back and they'll be, you know, sharing that perimeter fire. But and, and boy, what perimeter firepower do they have? It's it's really delightful to watch those two attacking guards play together. It's the Cavs are so fun. Absolutely. If you haven't watched the Cavs yet, anyone listening at home, like, you know, watch watch a Cavs game soon. It is it's it's uh it rules Curry. He's 34 years old. Like Yeah, I agree on Curry. I, I think he'll he'll drop down to earth a little bit more. And then once we get down to this range, these guys are all averaging like close to 30 at the beginning of the season. I just think like, yeah, maybe they'll have big scoring season and average 28 or 29. I just think 30 is tough to 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 complete over a, a year. And anyone who thinks that the NBA's offensive rating or pace is out of control this year, like, you know, the pace is only up one possession per 100 this year. And, um, and the yeah. offensive rating is actually just one, you know, 0.1% lower than than last year so we're not seeing some sort of offensive explosion that people are imagining right now yeah and we're talking about eight guys that all average close to 30 in a normal season so seeing them average a couple more points doesn't necessarily uh isn't necessarily impending doom that the nba is just like all offense all the time i will disagree with you that only one player is going to average 30 and i'm not going to say who it is between kevin durant i think could get there trey young i think is certainly a candidate to average 30 although with DeJounte Murray's increased scoring load or offensive role lately maybe that's a little bit less likely but my pick out of all the guys I, I would love to say Damian Lillard you know I, I also understand that he's had injury issues he's already gotten hurt this year and Fernie Simons is really coming into his own being the second option on that team there's definitely a world where Dame averages 26, 27 instead of closing out the season or averaging 30. But my pick for the last, the second guy, at least second guy to average 30 mm. that I think is probably the safest is going to be Jason Tatum. Um, because as really? we've seen the past few seasons, Tatum is a second half of the year player. I mean, he always improves as the season goes on offensively um, over the course of a typical season and like really reaches his peak around or just after the all-star break um, i don't expect that to change and like they did have a really long playoff run last year i get it but like he's also young and he also continues to get a little bit better offensively every single year so and the other thing that i i will say with jason tatum is he's averaging over seven free throws a game which isn't a ton for you know, a lot of guys that average over 30 are closer to like the nine or 10 free throws a game mark, but like it is promising for him for a guy who's really struggled to get the line over the course of the past few seasons, like seeing that free throw attempt rate creep up there is, is um, 
or sorry, eight free throws a game. But yeah, seeing that free throw uh, attempt rate creep up there is really promising for him. He looks stronger this year and he looks a lot more physically assertive. And that was something that was lacking from his game in the past. Just sort of not that he was like a weak player by any means, but just sort of like not someone who was able to play kind of bully ball when he needed to. And I've in the couple of Boston games I've watched, I've seen Jason Tatum play some serious bully ball and just overwhelm people at the rim. So if that's real, if that's a consistent trend, that's um, that's going to change Boston's championship outlook. If Jason Tatum's not someone yeah. who's going to like uh, just ha- be forced to just become a mid-range pull-up shooter in the playoffs, if, if he's going to be someone who's going to be able to, you know, break a defense physically, that's that's going to be uh, that's going to make Boston a a very dangerous team in these playoffs. I, I, I the only thing I'd say about Tatum and averaging thirty is just like he's he's averaging thirty-seven minutes a game right now, and I, I don't think that that's something that Boston should continue to do they play him just you know 90s basketball level minutes so he's averaging 30.3 points per game he's playing 37 minutes and i i just think like that minutes number is going to come down and, and jason tatum could still have a huge breakout season but average 28 or 29 that's just my prediction yeah i could see that I, I will say the one caveat with boston that would maybe lead to tatum continuing in this increased offensive role is they have not been the defensive juggernaut that they were last year yeah a lot of people are are uh, blaming the coaching change and i understand that that could it could possibly have some impact but i think the far bigger impact is this team really misses robert williams they do not have that weak side defender who can really come in and protect the paint like they used to have last year because Al Horford is not that player. And also the uh, the defensive player of the year, as funny as you and I both think it was that Marcus Smart won that award last year. You I mean, mean the fifth best defender. player on the, on the Boston Celtics? <laughs> yeah, well, maybe that's a little too far, but you know, he, he was Fourth. a good defender last year. Um, he's he's at but, best the third best defensive player on the Boston Celtics. That's a, that's a, He's yeah. somewhere between the third and fifth, in my opinion. Well, and I think well, he's he really good. Been... I just think Boston's that stacked defense, defensively, but but um, I guess they're really putting that to the test with their 25th defensive ranking so far this year. I mean, regardless, Marcus Smart has not been close to that level this year. He's he's been bad defensively. Guys are guys are blowing past him. Guys are getting whatever shot they want against him. He I don't know if it's an injury. I don't know if it's complacency. Who knows what the deal is? But yeah, yeah. they really miss Robert Williams, and they really miss having um, stout perimeter defenders at every level of the floor like they had last year and that leads to them not being able to rely on their defense as much and needing Jason Tatum to create more points because you know who else on this team is is going to get shots I mean Jalen Brown's been great this year too offensively but you know Tatum's yeah their go-to yeah in, ter- in terms of relying on Jason Tatum to get them points that that part is is working out very well for them right now so uh um, you know, Boston defense is going to come around. There's no way you can have a defensive personnel like that and and be this bad. I feel like that that 25th ranking is going to like, you know, one of these games, you know, uh, maybe like next week when they play Detroit and they they're going to hold them to 60 points or something like that, and all of a sudden they'll be in the in the in the top 15 or something like that. Like uh, that's the with in terms of offensive and defensive ratings early in the season, blowouts 
tilt our understanding of teams so dramatically. You score yeah. 140 points on a team or you get 140 dropped on you or you hold a team to a to 70 or you get held to 70, that is going to absolutely skyrocket you or or drop you down when it counts for 10% of all your games, right? Cuz that's like you yeah. get a you get like an 88 defensive rating in one game. That's one tenth of your entire your on the season defensive rating. So we try to we we try to figure out who's playing well defensively and offensively early in the season to assess where teams are. But like blowouts, Boston, Chicago blew them out halfway through the season, and that's one of the reasons that their defense looks this bad right now. So yeah. uh, I mean, they did return their favor the other night, but <laughs> yeah, 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 yes, they did lose the first game to Chicago. Well, I will say, like Celtics have been amazing on offense so far. They're right up there with the Mavericks at the top of the league. Kind of a role reversal from last year. Not that they were a bad offensive team last year, but like, you know, top of the league defense, good offense. Um, and this year it's, you know, things have shifted. I mean, they're missing their most important real MVP defensively, Robert Williams, but we'll see what the team looks like when he comes back. But I, yeah. I will say in terms of other guys that could average 30, right up there with the Mavericks and the Celtics, the Phoenix Suns have been a really good offensive team to start the year. And Devin Booker's continued ascent into superstardom has kind of fueled that. Chris Paul has not been good to start the year, but Devin Booker is picking up the slack, averaging 28. You don't see any case for for book to get into that thirty point score category. I mean, you know, he's he's averaging twenty seven right now. I I just feel with the ups and downs of a season, you go through one little cold stretch, you're not averaging you're not averaging thirty. So yeah. right now we'd we'd be looking at Booker continuing his his present level where he's playing really 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 well, and on top of that, go through one crazy stretch where he just like has multiple 40 point games to to get that over the level so no i think i think averaging 30 is is, is hard <laughs> like you just need a Booker lot of just needs another and... he just needs another 70 point game yeah that's true we'll make up <laughs> make that up would do his cold spell <laughs> yeah <laughs> that would do it all right well i think we've uh we've exhausted our topics for tonight uh, we Ooh. want to thank everyone for tuning in we had a lot of fun hope you did too and yeah we're gonna continue on in the rest of the NBA season at some point we're going to like give more of our picks we still have to pick who we think is going to win MVP six man year all that fun stuff which we'll, we'll do as we approach midseason but uh, until then we're just enjoying the, the NBA basketball being back and you know as always we just want to give you a really polite reminder that all is life yes indeed we'll see you next time <laughs>